nice when people talk back to you. You know, in the, kind of in responding, not, you know, giving the, um, but thank you all for coming here. I'm Sean. For those of you who don't know me, I am the associate pastor here at 115 Bible Church. And I am very happy to have you here as we all are to worship and serve the living God today as Brother John was so, so eloquently put it um, during the psalm reading. Um, we actually are going to be continuing our trek through Romans, so if you have a Bible, um, whether physical copy or digital copy, I, I don't judge, uh, we're going to be in Romans 15, picking up where we left off last time. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to verse 21. We may touch on verse 22 just because it kind of flows pretty seamlessly into the next section, but that just depends on how much time we have. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14, and I ask if you have found it and you are able that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. All right. Again, Romans 15, starting in verse 14, and the word of God says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see those who have not heard will understand. Let's pray. Our most gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, Lord, may we not be distracted by the cares of, our, of the outside world and what's going on elsewhere in our lives. Lord, may we not be even distracted by the nature of the text as seemingly innocuous closing to the letter. But Lord, instead, let us breathe in your very words. God, because they are from you. Far be it from me to waste word or pen or ink. To pass down to your people something unimportant. 
said, may we take every word you have provided us with gravity and the importance it would be. We just pray you. So thank you for this word. And Lord, bless this time together in your word. God, speak to us through your word, by your spirit, and show us Jesus. And as while we're here, Lord, we would see Jesus. So we eagerly await for you to show him to us. Here in these very words. And it's in the name of your Son. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's start my favorite way of starting every time I'm up here, and that's by doing a little bit of a review. Um, some of the review I've kind of, you know, beat to death, so we're going to, for the most part, skip that and just get to the most recent information to review. So we're in the book or the epistle or the letter to the Romans, um, which was written by Paul to the church in Rome, and he's talking to a mixed congregation, both of Jews and of Gentiles, um, and that's why he spends so much time talking about um, these two people from very different backgrounds in Christ becoming one people, um, and that that's the nature of the gospel. It brings unity where there where there has been, and without the gospel, always will be uh, separation and disunity. And he spends much much ink, much paper, um, talking about giving the true gospel and telling you again this is a church he's never been to a church of um he likely knows very few if any people so he likes and he wants to make sure that what these people's hearts have received what they believe in is the essential essential is the true gospel is the biblical christ and so he spends a lot of time talking about that and the unity of gentiles and jewish people together in christ and um, if you recall um, we even ended our last time by talking about um, the importance of Jews and Gentiles, of Christian brothers and sisters coming together and bearing one another's burdens and thereby glorifying God together. We even ended with a benediction um, that Paul ended that final section with in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how he ended that section, and really the main body of his letter to the Roman church. And from there, he moves on to really beginning his closing of this letter, which, um, even though even though it's pretty standard for the most part, there actually is a lot of theology still rich in, in the doctrine. And so that's why we're going to not skip it, but instead we're going to take our time and go through the closing of this letter. So we're now caught up, and praise God for that. So let's do the only thing I know how to do and go verse by verse. So starting in verse 14, Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now, why does he say this? Well, 
for a couple of reasons. One, because it's true. You're talking to a church, you're talking to professional leaders. You're saying, I'm confident that you are full of this goodness, that you are filled with this knowledge, and that you know it to the point where you could actually educate one another. But he also says this to be a little diplomatic. Because, I mean, he doesn't know these people. So he spends all his time explaining the gospel, the true gospel, the, the genuine, real Christ. And he does so, yes, to their benefit, but also to, I mean, but he's also saying, on the other hand, I do know that if what I've heard about you is true, you know these things. You believe in the same gospel that you do. You trust in the same Christ that I trust in. And so he's saying, You're you are full of this goodness, of this, of this faithfulness. You are filled with this knowledge. And he also closes or ends that verse by saying, able also to admonish one another. And in that, he's saying, in my absence and in the absence of any apostles among you, that is your responsibility to admonish one another in this truth, in this knowledge, in this goodness, to educate one another, to remind each other of the truthfulness of the gospel, the faithfulness of Christ, and of the hope that I've just been proclaiming to you. So that's verse 14. It's a really, it's a really diplomatic reminder that, yes, I want you to know the true gospel, but I believe you know it. And because you know it, you should exert yourselves to teach it to one another, to remind one another. And then it goes on to verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, and going on into verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. What did Paul just say? He's saying, I was, I wrote to you, and I and I wrote on certain topics so boldly to you, not because I think you're ignorant, not because I think you're stupid. Not because I think you don't know these things, but because of my charge, because of my responsibility, because of the calling of God on my life and the responsibility he has given me to minister the gospel of God to the Gentiles. Now that's heavy. Why is that heavy? Because what Paul and God through Paul is reminding us, is reminding us, even those of us here in this room right now, today, is that there are things that a brother or a sister or a pastor or a preacher may remind us of and remind us of boldly, not because they think we're dumb, not because they think we just don't know but because of the charge placed on us. The charge placed on us to minister the gospel of God to those in our lives. So when Jeff is up here 
when they ask a question. And you preach it passionately. And you expository the word early, vigilant, diligent. And he seems like he's just beating a point. And he's not giving up and he's not letting go. It's not because he thinks you're dumb. It's not because he thinks you're you're you just you're just not smart enough to get it. It's because he takes his task, his God-given sanction, seriously. When Ivan goes out on the street and he preaches the word of God to any and all whom God brings in his process path, he doesn't stress points necessarily to get applause to show people how much he understands in comparison to them. He does it because he takes the task seriously. When a brother or a sister comes to you because they've seen in you by your behavior, by your attitude, by your actions, sin. Sin that maybe even you don't want truth of what he wrote in verse 14. He's, when he ended it by saying admonish, you can admonish one another in these things, he's saying not only can you, but you should. I wrote to you boldly because I take my God-given task seriously. And now, most yourselves full of all goodness, filled all knowledge, you are to admonish one another in these things, and you are to take that task seriously. Not as an excuse to look down your nose at a brother or sister and say, oh, they're just doing church for that day. Let me take this time to condescendingly show them why they're stupid. But the opposite love them and you want not just good for them you want God for them so you admonish one another in the truth of the knowledge of the glory of God that's what Paul's saying here he's showing by his example the truth and the importance of what he wrote and encouraged You not only know the abstract principles, you know how to live it out. You have the knowledge, you have the wisdom. Now use that to encourage one another and push it forward in your faith.
says, I spoke, I spoke to you more boldly on some point, or written to you more boldly on some point, reminding you, because of the grace that is in me, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Now here, if you recall, um, after Paul's initial um, foray into missions work as an evangelist, as a church planter, he actually, um, there was a time where he actually was turned by the Spirit from preaching primarily to the Jewish people and becoming the apostle to the Gentiles. And this apostleship that Christ placed on him, what Paul is saying here is that as the apostle to the Gentiles, even though I don't know you, church of Rome, even though I've never met you, as the apostle to the Gentiles, it is my duty to remind you my duty to remind you of these points that I wrote to you so boldly about so that you wouldn't forget them because of the nature of my charge. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now what is he talking about? The offering of the Gentiles. He's not talking about anything they have to give, but what do they have to give? What do any of us have to give when it comes to our salvation? Nothing except for our deep, complete, and utter need. The Gentiles themselves are the offering. His offering up to God as the result, not necessarily of what Paul did, motivated but enabled his faithfulness by the spirit so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit how is the offering of the Gentiles made acceptable only if it's sanctified by the Holy Spirit so how can these Gentile Christians be offered back up to God in a holy way No other means than by the power of the Spirit of God. And so, what Paul is showing us here in his own charge, what God is showing us in Paul's charge, is an illustration, an example of our own charge, of the responsibility that God has placed on every Christian. To minister to those whom God brings Christ to. And what is our offering back up to God? It's the fruit of that labor, whatever that looks like. Primarily, it looks like the faithfulness to what God has called us to. The faithfulness to the task that God has there have been enough of them in this building, in this world, who have walked the Christian path and done so seemingly unrepentant. I'm reminded, actually, please don't ask me the name, but I was actually participating in the 
in fact, they were so looked down upon by the people and cast out to the point where they had to make their homes up basically on a pillow. And the only contact they had with anybody from that tribe who was a tribe they were next to was a little boy who would come and sit with them. And this family sacrificed everything for this nation. By the grace of God, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they were superhuman, but I'm saying the Spirit of God motivated them and drove them And in their during their lifetime, I mean, and they lost children. They lost the husband lost his wife. The husband actually lost two wives to this mission process, to this mission field, because they got sick and died. One, I believe, died in childbirth. Another one uh, fell ill and passed away. And so the husband, after all that. He was fed up with his gun. He went home. Twenty years later, that little boy who came to tell the parents, he came to Christ. He came to Christ and through and the Spirit of God working in him and through him in his village. That village became a thriving Christian community where many were saved. And this is not to count the successes or the efforts of these people. That's to show the faithfulness of God that even though as a preacher, as a pastor, as a Christian, you might spend your days preaching the gospel pouring your heart out to people who quite frankly look like they couldn't care less. Many of them may in fact might actually show you how little they care by the way they react to what you say, by the things they call you, by how they talk to you behind your back to other people that you know that you both know. I'm saying that you may not see the fruit now, but God, through the faithful preaching of his word, is bringing about a result that one day you may fall down on your knees and weep for joy because you could have given up. Because you didn't know of what God was doing in the hearts and the minds and the souls and the lives of the people. You came into contact with that he brought across your path. Just because we can't see the fruit doesn't mean that God's not there. It takes the mighty those many decades. Such a way and in such a manner where you don't lose.
because you're not faithful to proclaim the word of God at home. And what is your proclamation of the word of God outside the home if not but empty and vain? So you start just as it's illustrated in the book of Acts. You start with the Jerusalem. You start with your home. Then you branch out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Some, there are some whom God has called to go to the ends of the earth. To, as Paul says later, proclaim Christ where he has never been heard. It, it is the job of the church to support and fund that mission. Because it has been made very clear charge 
you've been placed on my line. And to offer up the Gentiles, the Gentile converts, under his mission, as a sacrifice to God. And he ends that by saying, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. He's saying, I can't take the credit for anything. This is all because of Christ. This is only because of Christ. This is only because of Jesus. Any conversion that happens is the preaching, the gospel of God, regardless of who does it, where it comes from, is thanks only to Christ. The glory belongs to Paul is saying, my only reason for glory is in Christ. I don't have another reason for glory. Because these things which pertain to God belong to Christ. And he goes on in verse 18, for your, might say, your translation might say, so or therefore, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished. I dare not try to lift myself up. I dare not try to hold myself up to the standard and say, this is how you need to be. Do this. Do as I do. He's saying, no. Anything I accomplish, anything that happens through the preaching of the gospel happens only by the spirit and power of Christ. This is the importance of the gospel gospel is the message of Christ, and the gospel is only effective because of Christ. I can't, I can't do anything to make it better. So far be it for me to water it down to make it palatable for the world. Or far be it for me to expand or twist to try to accommodate what the world does not want to let go of. Or what even those who claim to belong to the household of faith and they have a loved one who falls into sin and they can't bear the thought that that means they're no longer a Christian. So they warp and twist and bend their theology even when those with that belief have trouble with letting go because they don't want to think that their child or their friend or their relative is going to hell because they proclaim their sin with the preaching. I can't glory if I do that, I've stopped preaching the gospel of God. And what have I started preaching? I started preaching syncretism. I started preaching accommodationism. I started preaching something that is wholly other and different and separate from the gospel. Anything that accomplishes 
so he glories and has reason to glory in Christ and only in Christ in the things which pertain to God and he does not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through him in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient what is Paul basically saying Paul is basically saying I'm human I didn't do everything Sometimes I would say the wrong thing. Sometimes I would mean the wrong thing. Sometimes I would just come off looking like a ridiculous fool and I could testify in the length of that. He's saying, so I don't I don't speak of the things which I did in my own power, even if they seem to work. Gentile baptism to now. Everything Christ has said and done in and through me, he brings into obedience. Those things I speak and will say. I glorify him. Verse 19 And mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem round about to Illyricum I have fully preached. The gospel of Christ in this region of Judea. What Paul is saying here, I mean, quite clearly, quite plainly, is, um, I mean, he's, he's referencing the the accompaniment of signs and gifts and spiritual wonders with his ministry, and he's hearkening very clearly back to Moses bringing or with the Exodus. Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness, being accompanied by mighty signs and wonders. And what we're seeing here is, is a reminder that God's stamp of approval in times of great revelation comes in the form of signs and gifts and spiritual wonders. So we see where. God through Moses did mighty did wonderful things um, to verify Moses as his messenger to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And we see here Paul saying, I was accompanied by a choir by signs and gifts and spiritual wonders to verify who he sent, to show that I do not come as an imposter. Genuine message. 
Paul would have no New Testament proof that he actually was in Illyricum. When he when he uses this phrase in almost every translation, he uses it round up, round about. Um, think of it more as a an arc. So from Jerusalem over here to Illyricum over here. So he's saying from Jerusalem to the border of Illyricum, which is the Macedonian area, which is roughly where he uh, at least for, according to the New Testament we have recorded, is roughly where he stopped. So from Jerusalem to the border of Macedonia, which is the border of Illyricum, the gospel has been preached. So he's saying the gospel is done being preached. Okay. He's saying the gospel has been preached, and Paul's primary purpose was to preach the gospel in a place. Was not to just preach the gospel and leave, but to preach the gospel to confusive churches, to communicate the preaching of the gospel, and to and to continue the work long after he left. And I will say, by the grace of God, once again, I've been extremely faithful in the fulfillment of this other purpose, and that is all by ourselves, clearly we're inept and couldn't do it. But God has so blessed us to the point to where he has brought in people, raised up brothers to lead congregations, not just in different parts of America, but in different parts of the world. And I am by no means trying to sell anybody here on um, 116 Bible Church most of you are here every Sunday, so I assume you're already here. Um, but quite the contrary, I'm boasting in God. I'm glorying in Christ because he has chosen to raise up faithful men to lead congregations. Congregations that we know and trust are continuing to preach the gospel in physical, geographical places that we just can't get to all the time. That we just can't go to. I mean, even in England, which it's been estimated that on any given Sunday in England, less than 1% of the population is sitting in a church. I mean, and this is a place where once upon a time, the Reformation took a strong foothold, and the gospel was proclaimed vigorously, and, and there were faithful brothers and sisters standing up to popes and kings and queens and staring them down in the name of God and saying, I won't move. I stand on the rock. It's now a place that is so dark and so dead spiritually.
necessary revival takes root in a place if the people aren't diligent with their own churches. Then the gospel will no longer be the ointment. It will be assumed. And from the gospel being assumed, the gospel be rejected. Verse 20, and so I had made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Here we have Paul um, starting a transition um, from his basically his summary letter he just wrote and his own ministry to essentially his future Christ. Um, but in this transition we see we see Paul really driving home the point that his mission is not as his calling, his charge is not as pastor teacher. His calling So he says, so I have made it my aim to proclaim Christ and to have the same consequences. And he's not by any means denigrating the responsibility of the pastor teacher or, or of those who have not been called to that particular mission. He's saying that wasn't his mission. Because those of us who serve as pastor teachers, by the grace of God, are building on another man's foundation. And to be honest, thank God for that, because I don't know how how successful I'd be doing what Paul was doing. That's not to suggest that we don't pursue men of faith and that they call us to a specific task. Even though it's for a period of time. Paul even says elsewhere to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That doesn't mean we neglect the work of an evangelist. It just means we're not all called to go to the bushes and proclaim Christ to those people. We may be called, in fact, we are called. So that I wouldn't build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Now your Bible probably um, has a little footnote or parenthetical that lets you know exactly where that Old Testament reference is drawn from. It's not from Isaiah. 
Thank you. 